0: Welcome to the Grace Life Church podcast. My name is Parker Smith, lead pastor of Grace Life Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. Our prayer is that the sermon you are about to hear will help you grow in your understanding of God's Word, point you to the person of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to live for the glory of God. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. Thank you, Ricky. Yes, if it's your first time here and you're hoping to hear Parker, too bad. If you have a Bible, I hope you do, or at least a device that you can get to it, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2, the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 15 to 17, Mark 2, verses 15 to 17. As you're turning there, I do want to say thank you to my friend Parker Smith, your pastor. I've known him since the first day of seminary. We met in class and have kept up with each other over the years. Um, He's a good brother who loves the Lord. I'm glad you all are loving him well here. I know he's very excited to be part of Grace Life Church, so thank you for hosting me and having me today. Um, I always feel weird guest speaking because it's easy to make it about me, and I hope the whole rest of this will be about our God and specifically what he's done for us in Jesus. Okay, Mark 2, verses 15 to 17. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll work through it together. You can follow along silently as I read, starting in verse 15. But those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God. Everything else I say will be my words and teaching from it, but this is God's trustworthy, enduring, eternal word. Now, I've heard it said that the Christian life is like driving a car on a narrow road. We're constantly correcting so that we are staying on the path. Often, with a lot of different issues, there can be a ditch on either side. And if we aren't correcting to stay on the path, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the grace of the Lord, we can shipwreck our faith in a lot of different directions. Oftentimes, we are hyper-aware of one ditch, and we don't even know the other one's there. And I think this passage, if we misunderstand it or misapply it, we will be led to careen off into the ditch on either side. I hope that'll make sense as we keep going, because we're going to discuss the dangers of both ditches as we work through this passage. But as we talk through all of this, I don't want you to miss the main point. The main point of this passage is a glorious, paradigm-shifting truth. Jesus calls sinners. Plain and simple, Jesus calls sinners. We're going to consider this passage in three sections. Notice it's three verses, three sections. In the first verse, we'll talk about Jesus and sinners. In the next verse, we'll talk about Jesus and Pharisees. And in the verse after that, we'll talk about Jesus and us. So again, Jesus and sinners, Jesus and Pharisees, Jesus and us. So in verse 15, let's talk about Jesus and sinners. Working back through it slowly, it said, And as he reclined at table, this first he is Jesus, sitting back at the table, Hanging out with these people. It says, in his house. Now, this, the he and the his can get confusing. So we have he, Jesus, reclining at the table, and it says at his house. His is referring to Levi. And the verse is right before that. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. So this is right in context with that. Levi is also known as Matthew. He has the whole gospel of Matthew. Um, there's, there's a lot of debate about why he gets called different names, but y'all, if we live in the South, that's common for us. You may have somebody you call Bubba, who their name is not Bubba at all. And we all know that kind of thing. I have multiple uncles who go by names that are not their name. And when people ask me, are you related to so and so? I'll say, that's not what we call them. I don't know who that is. So I think it's a common thing in the South. Shouldn't surprise us that much. The more important he here is Jesus, because that's who Mark is writing about. Mark's whole gospel is about Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark spends his whole gospel talking about the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah who was promised in all the Old Testament. And He is the Son of God who has existed eternally with the Father and the Spirit and has come to us. Mark's entire point is this he. So don't miss that he's the main character here. There are a lot of other characters we'll be talking about. So far at this point, Jesus had been preaching. He had been healing. He had been calling people to himself. He calls Levi, and then he goes to his house and eats with him. The verse continues, "...many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples." For there were many who followed him. Now, before we get too far, I just need to say, if you work for the IRS, this passage is not directly condemning you. Okay? Some of y'all are like, tax collectors are evil. It's right there in the Bible. No, that's not what's going on. Um, it's not condemning outright. Tax collectors at the time were known for taking more than they were supposed to take. They were corrupt. So if you are a corrupt tax collector, then yes, please work that out with the Lord. Confess that sin. Repent of that. There's grace for you too. But, Just by doing that job, you can do it in a righteous way. So I just want to get that out of the way. Sinners is a term we in the church know. Sinners here means those who are rebelling against God. They're choosing their own way. They're not living according to His law. Most likely because they're lumped as tax collectors and sinners, these were obvious sinners. They were known sinners. They probably had public sin that people knew. And what were they doing? They were eating with Jesus. Now, here is where we can find the first ditch. Okay? We say, look, Jesus eats with sinners, sinners eat with Jesus. And if we isolate verse 15 and take it out of its context, which which we never want to do, we could take the verse too far. I've heard this verse misused to insist that Christians should be more relativistic. If you're unfamiliar with the term relativistic you're probably familiar with the practice, okay? Relativism is the idea that truth is not absolute. Relativists say things like, live your truth, or whatever is good for you is good for you, or believe what you want, just keep it to yourself, or don't tell other people what they should believe. Now, I already know, some of you in this room are going, I say or think those things, that's okay. This is going to be good news for you. Remember, the main character here is Jesus, and he's got good news for relativists in this passage. But if you take this verse and say, Jesus died with sinners, and so we should say something like, see, Christians shouldn't worry about sin. In fact, they'll argue, the only way you can really love others is if you celebrate whoever they choose to be, even if it means approving of their sin. Some of you may be saying, I've never heard anybody say that. Why would anybody say that? I have talked to individuals who have used this verse to say that. And it's sad and it's heartbreaking because there's glorious truth in this passage. But if we fall off into one ditch, we're going to totally miss it. Because that's not what verse 15 tells us about Jesus dining with sinners. For one thing, Mark still calls sinners, sinners. It's not hidden in the passage. Jesus also calls them sinners in verse 17. He doesn't sugarcoat it or say, hey, don't call them sinners. He says, I'm here to call sinners, talking about these people around me. Now, some of us already were like, I didn't think about it that way. If I was eating with Jesus and He called me a sinner, how would I feel about that? Maybe just something to ponder in your own time. Jesus calls them sinners, and the Scriptures throughout are clear about the seriousness of sin. Romans 1 warns us against sin and it warns us against giving approval to those who practice sin. It's right at the end of Romans 1. Romans 3 tells us that the wages of sin is death. That means if we sin, we earn death. We are reaping God's wrath on us in sin by not going His way. If that doesn't seem fair, let's reorient this a little bit. There is one God who has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's created all things. He holds all things together. He alone is holy and good and all-wise. And He created us in His image. And we live and we breathe only by His grace. And when we go against Him, when we rebel against His ways, that's sin against Him. And His holiness, His righteousness, His goodness demands payment for that sin. It demands that we owe Him a debt that we couldn't pay. Sin is so serious that in Ephesians 2 it's described that sinners are dead in their trespasses. Now, the Scripture does not give us room to be relativists towards sin, and yet tension does arise from this passage. Because notice, Jesus dines with people He calls sinners, yet they want to dine with Him. Notice how Mark emphasizes that. It says, as He reclined at the table in His house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. So there's this reciprocal wording that Mark is using to show they were choosing to be there with Him, even though He wasn't sugarcoating the seriousness of their sin. So, as I've talked about sin already, if you're mad and you're like, that's not how I see the world, stick with me. Because that's how Jesus teaches us that things are. And yet, there's something that draws us to Him. You see, Jesus dines with people He calls sinners, yet they want to dine with Him. He didn't say to them, hey, don't worry about your sin. You know what, let's make light of your sin. You know what, I'll even talk bad about churches with you if it'll make you like me more. I think sometimes maybe we do that as Christians. We'll be quick to come alongside sinners and say, you know what, look, look how much I'm being like Jesus. I'm just encouraging and rooting for this sin. And that's that ditch we're talking about that we don't want to fall off into. Jesus was not dining with sinners to score political points. He was not doing these things to gain popularity. Jesus loved these people. And as we'll see... He spoke glorious, beautiful truth to them. Now, in our day, that's a tough balance. We say it's hard to love people and speak truth. And I agree, that's a tough balance. There's a tension there. But I don't think it was different for Jesus and his disciples. It had to be tough, right? And yet, these people felt loved enough to eat with Jesus. Jesus ate with sinners, but his reason was far greater than to make them feel good about their sin. In verse 16, we turn to Jesus and Pharisees. Jesus and Pharisees. It says, and the scribes of the Pharisees... Let's go ahead and pause for a second. If you don't know what a Pharisee is, these are your good religious folks, good church people. I happen to be the son of a pastor, raised in church, always been in church, and I need you to know that late high school, early college, God got a hold of my heart because I was a Pharisee. My friends would tell you I was really nice, but in my heart I was very judgmental. So maybe some of you relate to this. Good news is, by God's grace, I'm a recovering Pharisee. We're coming out of that. <laughs> we don't want to be that way. It says, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors. So these Pharisees, these scribes the Pharisees, they're watching Jesus. They're watching to see what he does. They're hoping he's going to prove that everything that he's done so far, of preaching, of healing, of calling people to himself, he's going to blow it. And they're just waiting on it. Notice it says, Then they said to his disciples. They didn't even go to Jesus to talk to him. They go to his disciples. They go to his followers. They go to this group of learners around him. And they ask a question. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we need to go ahead and just state it plainly. That's not a sincere question. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to show, hey, look, this guy's getting it wrong. So it's a loaded question. They bring it to his disciples. They don't even go straight to him. So we've talked about relativism is one ditch on one side of the road, and here we find the opposite ditch. The Pharisees display legalism. So you have relativism on the one hand, legalism on the other hand. And the term legalism, sadly, might be more familiar in our churches, slash for our own lives. We may have wrestled with this. I hope we are wrestling with this. A legalist focuses more on rule-keeping than on Jesus-following. It's all about doing the right thing perfectly to a T and holding others to that because our righteousness is based on how we perform. You see, according to their rules, eating with sinners made a person unclean. So ha! They caught Jesus breaking the rules. Let's point it out. While we may not have our rules written down like they did, I think we're all too familiar with legalism just like this. We just kind of have assumptions in our brain of what it's supposed to be like. And when people aren't that way, we are at best skeptical, if not immediately negative. The legalist sees Jesus dining with sinners and says, What are you doing, Jesus? Those people had their chance. Come sit with us. We know the right way. Legalists mistake knowledge for wisdom. We elevate measurable purity over grace. We wrongly categorize others as doomed sinners and ourselves as the righteous ones who have it all together. Now, legalists know better than to come out and just admit any of this because legalists follow the rules so well. But it shows up in actions And occasionally we tell on ourselves with judgmental sayings. Legalists misapply the wisdom of verses like Proverbs 13.20, which says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. Or 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, are those verses true? Yes. But the whole point of a proverb is to give us a general principle of life. We can't read those verses and then say, Jesus died with sinners and say, well, Jesus was wrong. That, that's, that's not how it works. And unfortunately, that's sometimes how we treat it. We cast people out. We let them remain outcast. We feel safe if they stay over there. But Jesus was not concerned about appeasing legalists. Throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus repeatedly confronting Pharisees. Over and over, His actions go against those who are proud of their religiosity. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. He preached Himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and not just do better. He commands us to love and serve even our enemies. Jesus wants His people to take the gospel to people and to go love and care for people even if they reject our message and reject us. And Jesus shows that in His actions. Again, attention arises because Jesus Himself was without sin. He never sinned. He never said a sinful word. He never had a sinful thought. And Jesus even tells us in His famous Sermon on the Mountain Matthew that our righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. But here is Jesus dining with sinners and being questioned by the Pharisees. In verse 17, we learn that Jesus came neither to appease legalists nor to approve relativists. In verse 17, we can talk about Jesus and us. Scripture says, And when Jesus heard it... Remember, the Pharisees talked to the disciples, not to Jesus. But He heard it. He said to them... This is Him speaking directly to the Pharisees. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. If you're simple-minded folk like I can be, physician means Doctor. You saying, "Hey, if you're not sick, don't go to the doctor." Pretty fair. My wife happens to be a doctor, and y'all, I gotta say, when I'm having a day and I'm kind of feeling slow, you can't pull out the "oh, I'm I'm just not feeling great" card because she's like, "Actually, I'm a doctor. You're not sick. Go to work." You know, I know no one would ever skip work or school with a fake illness or a less serious illness. I know that would never happen, especially good church people, right? Jesus, though, here likens himself to a physician. And he says, I'm here for the sick. He states what should be obvious, and then he clarifies his point. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus likens the righteous to those who are well and have no need of a physician. He likens sinners to those who are sick and do need healing. Here, Jesus doesn't call us to either ditch. He calls us to the narrow road. When Jesus compares the Pharisees to those who are well, He's actually pointing out that they're not truly righteous, by the way. They are self-righteous, which is not righteousness at all. We just sang this wonderful song, Christ alone is our cornerstone. He is all of our righteousness. If left to ourselves, we cannot repair the damage that we have done to our relationship with God. If left to ourselves, we are dead in our sin. The good news is that Jesus came after us. He did not leave us in our sin. When Jesus compares sinners to the sick, He is confronting the serious reality of sin. But the good news is, while He points out the sin of the Pharisees, and while He calls the sin of these tax collectors and sinners what it is, He offers good news because He came to call sinners. We started this beautiful gospel story earlier of the triune God who has eternally existed, has no beginning and no end, who created us in His image, and that we failed. We fell into sin, and we severed our good relationship with the Lord. In our sin, we are dead, we are hopeless. We have no way of repairing this relationship with God, of living with Him eternally on our own. But God, He sent His Son, Jesus, to earth, the eternal Son of God, God Himself, who has always existed, became a person. Okay, I know that's something we know in church, but it's just fun to rethink about occasionally. And He lived the life that we should be living. Perfectly without sin. And he willingly died in our place, taking on the wrath of God, becoming sin for us, paying the penalty for our sin. And he was crucified on a cross. His blood was poured out for us. And if we stop there, then the Christian religion is really sad. Because even though you can say, well, Jesus died for us, it becomes really good news when you find out that He didn't stay dead. Three days later, He rose from the grave. Hundreds of people saw Him alive. He was alive 40 days and went around and ministered to them. And then He ascended to the right hand of the Father, where He is now, interceding for His people. And one day He will return bodily for His people. We will see Him. He will come to judge the living and the dead Those who by grace through faith have life in Him will know Him and enjoy Him forever. Sin and death have been defeated. They've been removed. That's good news. And I think sometimes we forget that's what gospel means. There's good news. But sometimes to hear the good news, we have to remember the bad news about our sin. And we have to realize that sin can take us into a ditch on either side. You see, the gospel pulls us out of the ditch. To the relativist, relativist, the gospel says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel confronts us with the truth of God's holiness, the truth of our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. To the legalist, the gospel says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It confronts us with the truth that we cannot earn salvation no matter how well we keep the rules. When Jesus dined with sinners, He wasn't approving of their sin. When Jesus called the Pharisees righteous and well, He was confronting their self-righteousness that they might recognize and turn away from their sin. You see, only Jesus is righteous by His own nature and by His own merit. And only those who trust in Him can be called righteous. Not because sin is insignificant, and not because we've earned any right to be called righteous. In Christ, we can be called righteous because of who He is and what He's done for us. Our sin applied to Him at the cross, His righteousness applied to us by faith. When God looks at us, He sees Jesus' perfect record and no longer our sin. That's the only way that you and I can be called righteous. In His grace, Jesus shows us that the world is not divided into us and them. We're quick to draw lines. We can draw political lines. We can draw lines for the iron bowl. We're quick to make it us and them. But because of Jesus, we know that we're all sinners who need His grace. He shows us that sin is serious, serious enough for His sinless life to be the price for His people. We also no longer have to be nervous about calling sin what it is, because we found the physician who can deal with our sin. When I look at a neighbor who is in sin, I don't look at them with judgment. I look at them with compassion, because I know that I am like them, that I share their need for a Savior. When I want to see them saved, I'm not telling them that I know better than them. As one person said, I'm just another starving person showing them where I found bread. Because of Jesus, we no longer have to try to justify ourselves by comparing ourselves to others who sin differently than we do. Jesus delivers us from any need of self righteousness. We rest in Him. I don't have to be self righteous because Jesus is righteous in my place. In Christ, we neither celebrate nor approve of sin, but we also don't look down on others. We become like Him with love and compassion and grace. And as we invite others to come to Him, we're saying, hey, i got to go eat with Jesus, and I want you to come eat too. Come eat and be satisfied. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus doesn't call us to relativism or to legalism. Instead, He calls us to repent and believe the gospel. He calls sinners to follow Him in love and in truth, both and. And the best part is that Jesus still calls sinners. This wasn't a one-time event. (laughs) He didn't hang out with them and say, yeah, these are all the ones I'm calling, max capacity. No, He still calls sinners. And whether you're more of a relativist or more of a legalist, whether you're a prodigal or a Pharisee, there's grace for you in Jesus Christ. My plea to you today, would be turn away from your sin. Turn to Jesus. By God's grace, through faith, trust in Him as Savior and Lord. The good news for all of us is that Jesus calls sinners. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grace Life Church podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about Grace Life Church, please email us at gracelifedecatur at gmail.com or find us on Facebook by searching Grace Life Church Decatur. And if you live in the Decatur area, we would love for you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until next time on the Grace Life Church podcast.